To sustainable number 71. 71. We are your friendly little environment podcast, all about people and the planet. Um, why can't we just all have a little bit of a smile about it sometimes? I mean, blimey, come on. And what have we got coming up this week? Oh, well, um, do you remember last week uh, we said about a certain loofer-haired president of the United States that mm. we weren't going to talk about him? So, yes, we're not talking about him. Ban on him. Ban on the Luther-haired uh, orange one. Uh, but we are going to be talking about... Um, what, what do you find in, um, you know, in coral reefs, Dave? What, what do you find? Lego bricks. Really? Well, yeah, I mean, chances are, right? There's so many of the blinking things, and they must. some of them must go in the sea. And of the ones that go in the sea, some of them must go into coral reefs. And they probably stay there for ages. And around them, coral universes form. That's what I reckon. All right, well... Yeah, that that and sponges. I mean, I was going for sponges, all right? So loofers that we're not going to talk about, sponges that we are going to talk about, and some right old flannel that is being spoken in Cornwall where people are being booted out of their homes because of that stinky air. Uh, so, so flannel, sponges, and no loofers. Very good. Oh, just the usual disclaimer. We do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. Thus, if anything we say to you does not wash, eh, eh, then don't take it up with anyone that we work for. Just pull the plug on us. Yes? Let's shower the listeners with babble. Thought we weren't going to talk about Donald Trump this week. Oh, clever. So, things Donald done. This is the section where we talk about the world-ending, universe-threatening, whatever the latest stupid thing that the orange-haired, tiny-handed... No! 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 We're not doing it this week, Oh, We're not doing it. We promised the listeners we were not going to bang on about stupid, tiny-handed, orange-faced, loofer-brained Donald Trump this week. He has been doing all sorts of terrible stuff, but I'm sick of it. I'm bored of it. I want him to go away, and you are banned. You're banned. (laughs) Shut up talking about Donald Trump just for one week. We're not doing it. Tell me something I didn't know. Somebody got up on the wrong side of the bread. Crikey Moses, I did not know that. Fine, alright, fine, fine. I will shut yes, up. Yes, you will shut up. I will shut, shut up. up. Look, I've shut we up. Shut this up. is yeah, me. Idiot. Shut up. You shut you up. Just shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I will tell you something uh, that is not related to the loofer head horrible Sound thing. like shut up. Shut up. Uh, we are going to talk about Crikey Moses, I did not know that, which is often something quite obscure, but this time it's just amazing, completely amazing. Um, there you may have seen the news that there has been an extraordinary discovery in the natural world, which is a huge, huge 
uh, coral reef that nobody knew existed, um, where the where the Amazon River meets the Atlantic Ocean, and it is extraordinary and stunning and beautiful and jaw dropping. Um, but obviously, we don't know anything about it. Luckily. No. We went to chat to somebody who does, and that person is the wonderful Sarah Ayesh from Greenpeace. So this is us chatting to Sarah about the brand new reef. Hello, Sarah. Hi there. Hello. Hello. Thank you very, very much for coming to talk to us. Um, Where are you? How are you? And have you managed to avoid thinking about Donald Trump today? I've actually had quite a good Trump day. I have like good Trump <laughs> days and bad Trump days. And um, today's been just so hectically busy that I I have only, I think, been on Facebook twice, which is really, really good compared to the beginning of the week. Only being appalled by the rise of fascism twice in one day is a pretty good guy. <laughs> I'm doing well. So, Sarah, tell us, I saw a thing in the news which said that they had found in the water a reef what is massive what they didn't know was there is that right and what the blinking x gone on there then it's it's kind of right we've um people have known about it for a couple of years um scientists announced the discovery of it last april but this is the first time in the last week that people have actually been able to dive down there and see it um so greenpeace are there right now at the mouth of the amazon river in our ship the esperanza and we've taken a team of the scientists who made the original discovery along with some of our campaigners our oceans campaigners and we've hired like a tiny little submarine and people have been down and they've actually seen the reef for the first time with human eyes and taken photographs and really amazing footage of it so it's the first time really that probably most people in the world are hearing about it so so how come no one knew how can you miss a massive coral reef how come it like wasn't how how can you how can that's not possible it's massive isn't it well it's massive but it's under it's in really really muddy water and there's a lot of it's at the point where um the amazon river it's, it's the mouth of the amazon river and it's at the point where it pours out all of the sediment that it's gathered from its journey along the rainforest and so and there's like very strong currents so it's not somewhere really that people go it's quite remote it's quite far from shore and it's also quite deep in places. I know that um, the dive was going down as far as I think 130 meters. And it also is just in an area where you wouldn't expect a reef to be um, because the water's so muddy and there's very little light. Usually reefs develop in very clear water because they use sunlight, they use photosynthesis like plants do in order to grow. And that just isn't possible in a lot of those places. So it's thought that it's using a different process called chemosynthesis where it's um, using the bacteria and the organic matter in the water to develop. Um, so yeah, nobody nobody knew it was there all this time, and it's huge. That's amazing. So, okay, I get that it's hidden um, because of the murky waters and uh, and it's deep, which sort of begs the question: Well, how did people discover it then? How did you don't just stumble across something which is 130 meters underneath a load of murky water that's going in 
all sorts of currents what how 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 well it's quite a story actually in the 70s um some scientists in the area saw um some tropical fish that you would only usually see around a reef and they wrote a paper about these fish and then nothing happened for years and years and years and then i think in the 1990s so still quite a long time ago um a scientist i think read this paper and he wrote a paper um hypothesizing that there was a reef in the area that there must be and he never his name is rodrigo mura and he never i think had the resources to go and explore for it and it's one of those things i think that probably it just seemed like kind of a fantasy or a myth um and nobody really believed that it was there and then what happened in um a couple of years ago was that there was a, a research um expedition to look at something entirely different by American scientists. And this scientist was invited because they needed some Brazilian scientists. He was invited on the mission and said, look, can we, I really think there's a reef there. Can we just take a dredge and dredge and see what we find? And they said, yes, but they really thought that, you know, that like they were searching for the Loch Ness monster or something, (laughs) you know, (laughs) they just didn't believe, they just thought, oh, he's just kind of chasing this, this dream. All right, we'll put you. We'll put your bucket down there if you like. If it'll make you happy. Absolutely, that's exactly um, the kinds of things that they've said about it. And and then they came up with just astonishing um, corals and sponges and rhodoliths and things that they'd never seen before, um, and just huge amounts of stuff. And that, but they weren't able to dive, so nobody up until now has actually seen it. So they wrote a paper, which was published last year in Science Magazine, about the reef. And so since then, people have known that it's existed, and it did get some newspaper coverage. But in the last week, it's the first time that it's been photographed or filmed, and it's the first time that people have really seen it and seen how complex it is and how extensive it is and how, in places, it covers like the whole of the ocean floor. So I um I've been to, I've had the great privilege uh, of I've been to the Barrier Reef which is in Australia which we talked about back in episode forty uh, nine maybe I don't something know something like that. like that we had a, we had a bloke on talking about the Barrier Reef and how it's all totally ruined because of climate change it was very, yeah. very upsetting too uh, is that going on down there then is there any evidence of sort of climate change messing this one up It seems that this reef um, because it it. The parts we've seen of it so far, which I have to stress are very small parts of it, um, because it doesn't seem to be what we've seen experiencing the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef, um, perhaps it would offer some clues as to how reefs can survive the warming of our planet. But as I say, that's, that's speculation at the moment, because it's such early days and there's so much research to do. Is it better that things like this get discovered and then, um, you know, obviously it's it's a wonder of the natural world and, and hopefully will be will teach us a huge amount and, and potentially enjoyed. Um, but isn't there a risk that now we know it's there, we'll knacker it like we've knackered everything else we've found? I think it can't. So I think in this case, it can't. It's not like a sort of, it's not going to be a tourist attraction. It's not something that you can sail a boat out to and do a dive, you know, in a, a wetsuit 
kind of two it's it's extremely dangerous there are really strong ocean currents we decided not to send divers down that's why we're using the submarine it's really it's really far out it's really remote and actually in this case the discovery of it you know may prove to be the saving of it because oil companies are lining up to drill in that area they already own the licenses of course they are (laughs) and um they've owned the licenses for several years and they are potentially they potentially are going to um get the last permit to be able to drill this year and what we're trying to do now is actually let the world know that this reef exists bring pictures of it bring video of it so that people know what can potentially be lost if there's an oil spill so what what is down there i mean like paint i know this is a exceptionally difficult thing to do on the radio paint paint us a picture of what's of what's down there is it true there's a sponge as big as an elephant or have i uh, am i on drugs did i hear that right i I heard that there's a sponge that's two meters long that was dredged up in the original expedition i don't know i don't know if it's as big as an elephant but um (laughs) the the system the reef system is kind of a mixture of sponges um some of which we think are new new species of sponges and also a mixture of corals which you know what they are and rhodoliths which are coralline algae um and it what's kind of really interesting that i didn't know up till now is that the fish actually move the rhodoliths around and make them in piles kind of like a big rock garden like a big pile of rocks and um and they they do that to make kind of nesting areas for themselves so it's not it's not this thing that just forms it's a it's a thing that the fish interact with and um and move about Have you um, have you spoken to anyone who's on the expedition? Um, yes, I have. How 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 are they? Like are they like mad excited or being all sciencey about it? Oh no, they're so excited! Um, they're so excited. What's really wonderful is um, there's this guy called um, John who's one of our American ocean campaigners, and there's a video of him in the in the submarine pod, and he's pointing out everything that he sees. And he must know, like, it feels like he must know every fish in the world <laughs> because you can you can see him going, oh, I think that's a new species. Oh, this is this. This is this, you know, and this it's it's just incredibly exciting. I'm pleased that people like that actually exist in, in real life. When we went to meet friend of the babble, Chris Packham, in episode 24, and he, oh, yeah. it, when you see him on telly and he sees, like, it, when he was doing that thing in Orkney and he sees a vole and he instantly sees a vole and he's like, my word, it's a brand new species of vole. I mean, you, <laughs> I'm, you, you don't know that. You've got that out of a book. I don't believe that you really look at a vole and decide it's a new species, but you're telling me people can do that, but with fish. A- absolutely. It's remarkable. Wow. Yeah, and some of these fish are stunning. There's a picture of this kind of bright pink fish um, kind of sitting in the middle of this yellow corally thing. And some of the pictures are just, they're stunning. And we actually really didn't know if we would get any, any pictures or footage because a lot of the water at a lot of the times of year is really muddy and full of sediment. And we just didn't know if 
if there would be anything of color, we thought it might be, um, you know, just gray and brown and not stunning at all. And we wondered if people would care about it. But it actually, it's it's really gorgeous. And um, there are just startling colors. So I just want to appeal to people, if, you've, if you're excited about this and moved by it, we really, really want to save it from these oil companies. If there's an oil spill in that area, what I know about um, the previous BP oil disaster, Deepwater Horizon, is that the oil kind of sunk down to the bottom of the seafloor and just coated it like tarmac in a car park and stayed, just stayed there, basically. And... If that happens to the if that happens in this area, we, you know, it would just be devastating if this reef was covered in, like horrible oil, and wiped out just as we started to learn about it. So I'd really appeal to people to, um, to sort of look up our campaign and and get involved and just sign up. So how can people um, follow you um, as you work on this? Are you on Twitter? And, and, and where should they go to sign up? Um, on Twitter, I'm Sarah Aish um, or Sarah009. And you can also go to the Greenpeace website and um, sign up to the Amazon Reef petition. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you very, very much for talking to us about that Um it's yeah, it feels absolutely amazing and kind of uh, a beacon of optimism and good news in what is other otherwise a bit of a bleak time environmentally and in many other ways. So thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Oh no problem, and I yeah I totally get that. I've been um, spending the week putting pictures of the the nice pictures on my Facebook post to try and kind of break through the like horrible Trump gloom. <laughs> well, we have a, we have a ban on Trump this episode, so we may just edit that bit out. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Sustainable of the week. So, sustainable of the week, um, from the sublime to the spectacularly ridiculous. Um, this is, I mean, this is just just uber babble it's peak babble it's <laughs> like it's a it's, it's the very definition of missing the point and it is yeah. quite a lot of people were talking about this story during the week and sort of taking it on face value but it shouldn't have been taken at face value it should have been babbled what are we banging on about dave <laughs> So I, I, when you sent this to me, you said, can we put this in? I assumed it was a joke, but it's not. What's happening is there's a thing going on in Cornwall, which is down in the bottom lefty bit of the UK. I've been very there. Good. Very, good. very, very nice and very pretty, right? Like it. Recommend it. Go there. Uh, I think it's even got some little reefs or something, little baby reefs. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, it's in Cornwall. And it's very pretty. And what's been happening is, right, uh, there's, uh, just like there is all over the blinking shop in this flaming, stinky country at the moment, there is air pollution going on. Boo. Oh. Boo. Down with that. 
down with that sort of thing. Uh, in with this, we shall not breathe, right? And air pollution is a thing that lives in the air and it causes you to cough your guts up and die early. Um, and that's about the limit of what I know about it. Thank you very much, by the way, all, for helping me out with that thing I had to do by telling me all about stinky air the other day. Because oh, uh, I, I, I didn't know. Because you know about stinky air, don't you? I know a little bit about stinky air. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about stinky air. Anyway, so in Cornwall, yeah, the air, there's some bits of it, seven bits of it apparently, which have been identified as, by the council, air pollution hotspots, mm. which means... Which means... Which means... That too much air pollution, or more specifically, air pollution over legal limits set by that there... EU or Yerp. Yerp. Bloody Yerp. Coming over here, still stopping Cornish people dying. Yeah, how dare you. How dare you. you. So that's all. That's a good thing, isn't it? Setting uh, air pollution hotspots, doing something about it, recognising it's a problem. Good thing. It it is a good thing, yeah. Uh, Lots of councils all over the country are trying to um, grapple with the problem. They've got stinky air in their council area and they have to try and stop the things making the air stinky sometimes easier said than done but yeah good good that they are trying to lower pollution well done cornwall council yeah except they're not though are they because what they're actually proposing to do right is instead of like say for example there's loads of roads that are causing air pollution yeah um and you might want to build like i don't know another road right that'll cost you like i don't know a hundred right <laughs> and what they've done instead is they said units 100 units and they've said yeah but mm, but people like if we do that that'll make air pollution worse and we've already got an air pollution problem so why don't we just buy the houses <laughs> of the people who live here and force them to move somewhere else and then carry on building the bypass if that's cheaper why don't we do that that's a you can just imagine what? that's a <laughs> what yeah, that's what? What that's what they've done, right? So instead of saying, like, say air pollution's caused by stinky roads or that kind of thing, yeah, instead of saying, like, well, why don't we just do less air pollution then? There's a, there's a report that's come out that's looked at what you do about air pollution, and one of the options that they're genuinely looking at is to, quote, develop land in a suitable nearby location to make a new neighbourhood where new, those with the poorest make a new, air, make a new neighbourhood somewhere else where those who live in the poorest air quality could be given a new house uh, through compulsory purchase or an optional swap if you Whoa. want to swap your filthy house for one somewhere else so basically they are genuinely proposing rather than like not building new roads and, and not cleaning up the air they are proposing um, moving people compulsorily if necessary that's it is just astonishing this story and as i said at the beginning this is this is an exercise in missing the point it's like okay we've identified we've got an air pollution problem in seven areas hmm what can we do about that maybe we could reduce the sources of air pollution or maybe delete those seven areas and then <laughs> they won't be areas anymore to have an air pollution problem what you can't just yes. do that you can't yeah, do was- that you can, well, you can, if you are Jeff Brown, the council's cabinet member for communities, who said this. A bypass would cost tens of millions, but to relocate somebody might cost thousands. So it might be a cost-effective option. It would absolutely be a last resort, but we should keep it under consideration. The most important thing is the welfare of people in that community. And if the only way is to relocate them still within their own community but to a different location, perhaps that's something we ought to explore. 
Yeah. So basically, that's it. It's a, it's a proposal, right? And it does. It's a bit like you remember last week in episode seventy, we were talking about frackinged. Oh yeah. And we were talking about the incredibly watertight, very clever logic which governs whether or not the fracking company thinks it should be allowed to frack. Which is basically, uh, if you uh, do fracking safely, it is safe. Therefore, let yes. us do it. <laughs> yes. Well, this is a bit like that, isn't it? This is a bit. Like, it's actually it's perfectly correct and true that it might actually be cheaper to move people out of the way of a massive pile of shit (laughs) than it is not to put it there in the first place. That's absolutely true. And under a lot of circumstances, that would be welcomed. That would be fine. That would be fine. It's true, but it it isn't (laughs) the point. (laughs) Mate, Jeff Brown, council's cabinet member for communities. Think about it, Jeff. (laughs) Think about it, Jeff. Jeff, you haven't given a quote about it. You've given a quote to a newspaper, which is stupid, Jeff. (laughs) Jeff. Jeff, I know you're, you're having a lovely time in Cornwall and it's sunny, you're on the beach and you think, oh, that nice man from the Telegraph, I'll tell him a thing or two about, about money. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. This, I've had loads of conversations with you, Dave, where you've said, this is policy designed on Microsoft Excel. And yes. it's true. This is something where Jeff Brown and his stinky air pollution mates have been looking at their keyboard going, well, technically, if you move this from this column and this to this column, yeah, that, that makes that makes perfect sense. Everyone will be fine. Meanwhile, everyone outside in their homes, in the places where they've lived, are walking around coughing and spluttering, going, what are you going to do about it? And Jeff's going, well, just move you somewhere else. It'll be fine. Look, it adds up. Look, look. <laughs> the, it adds the up. The figures are undeniable. Only that's tantamount to treason. <sighs> How can you expect to pass off these pornographic doodles as real money? Especially when you see what the Duke of Edinburgh's up to on the back of the tenor. <laughs> But even best of all, a little tucked away line in this, another option on the table, I love this so much, I just have to say this, another option on the table, rather than just moving people away, is to remove your house, to bulldoze homes, to make roads wider, so that more traffic can flow, (laughs) uh, so that that way there's less stalling cars and less emissions going into the air, and I can't see that being a problem at all. I mean, it's a well-known fact, and I think the M25 proves this, that if you make a nice big road, no more people drive on it. It's just lovely, sparse traffic. You know, occasionally when you're going around clockwise, you see in the distance an anti-clockwise passenger approaching and you say, Toodaloo! Good morning to you, sir! <laughs> I say! Hello! <laughs> and you stop on either side of the road, exchange telephone numbers, <laughs> remark on the weather and move on your way because you've got a nice wide road that has eased traffic. It's... Balls. You make roads bigger, more people drive on them, you get more traffic and more pollution. Jeff! Jeff! <laughs> so that is just about it for another babble. I'm exhausted by that. I got I got far too excited about the sustainer babble and I'm all worn out. Yeah, well, that's also because you just ate a family-sized bag of Doritos. I've just had to sit here watching you in between sections, tipping it into your gob. I'm not surprised you're exhausted. You must be high as a blinking kite. Nature's energy source, Doritos. (laughs) Anyway, thank you to the wonderful Sarah Ayesh for telling us about the thing, that crikey Moses we did not know. Thank you to the legendary Dickie Moore for the music that starts and ends and intertwinkles this podcast. And thank you to Arabella for so nobly reading out the babble. 
And if you would like to get in touch with us and say hello, you can email us at hello at sustainababble.fish. You can tweet us at The Babble Wagon or you can search for us on Facebook. And if you would like to go on one of them, their podcast listening things like iTunes or Acast or Stitcher or whatever, please leave us a lovely, lovely five star review because it really helps. Or just grab hold of Ol at a demonstration like someone did this week and declare yourself a fan of the podcast. And Uh, then Ol will, I don't know, what did you do? Punch him in the face or what? No, no, we exchanged um, awkward pleasantries and then tried to walk off in separate directions. But because we were surrounded by thousands of people, we couldn't really. So we sort of slowly shuffled away from each other. Oh, very very moving. Well, speaking of speaking of consciously uncoupling, all I think it's probably about time I put your face out of my mind for the evening. So uh, <laughs> I shall see you next week for Sustainer Babble seventy two. Yes, hurrah! Okay, bye, bye. Well, that was quite good.